This is a 3CR community radio podcast. In Psychedelia is broadcast every Sunday from 2pm. For more info on anything you hear in the show, head to 3cr.org.au and follow the links to the Encyclopedia program page. Good afternoon and welcome to Encyclopedia on this rather muggy Sunday afternoon. I uh, feel like I'm walking through less dense uh, oceans than I am through air. Uh, I hope you have had a lovely uh, weekend. Uh, so far, and thank you to Freedom of Species, who will be back next week from 1pm on 3CR Community Radio, 855am digital, and streaming at 3cr.org.au. Uh, my name is Nick, and... Oh, oh, have I just lost... Oh, there we go. We've, <laughs> that's what happens when you've got a 50-year-old uh, radio panel. Sometimes you just need to give it a good knock, and there we go. It's back back working again. We have a big show for you this afternoon. We are fresh off the dusty, sun, uh, sun-emblazoned sun fields of Rainbow Serpent Festival, uh, and we have quite a panel discussion coming up. We're going to be covering everything from pill testing to uh, what the psychedelic experience might uh, uh, help us give some insight into our uh, future in these uh, somewhat confusing and turbulent times. Uh, and I'm going to introduce you to a panel of guests uh, that we have who will be here for the entire program, and we will be also taking some uh, some special guests on the phone and through Skype uh, during the program. First up, uh, Michael Garfield from the United States of America, down from Rainbow Serpent Festival and also heading up to Earth Frequency Festival in southeast Queensland, where it's going to be even muggier than this, uh, with a lot of cicadas as well, if I remember correctly from last year. Michael, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you. Um, now, uh, Michael is a bit of a... I, I've been calling you a psychedelic futurist. Is that um, is that fair? <laughs> that is fair to the extent that I believe that one of the best ways that we can think about technology is in terms of how it changes the way that we experience the world and understand it. So it's it literally their psychedelic effect on human consciousness. So Michael's going to be adding uh, that aspect to our conversation this afternoon. Ash Blackwell, uh, one of our uh, always regular um, commentators, uh, will, will we call you that? Yeah, look, we can, we can change it every other week. <laughs> Ash, uh, welcome. How are you feeling? You've, you've, you've uh, spent yeah. the longest longest time on those dusty fields. Yeah, I was there for nearly two weeks. A little bit, little bit dusty in the throat still, I think. Um, yeah. But yeah. Gets so, into every orifice. <clears throat> yeah, a little every. bit of a rough landing into FebFast, um, <laughs> participating in FebFast. So it was uh, party party to sobriety in a very sharp contrast. <laughs> and we will be uh, talking a little bit more about FebFast on next week's program. Uh, we're um, also doing the FebFast. Uh, uh, no alcohol for me for a month and I'm feeling all right at the moment, but, uh, you know... That's probably a good thing. Uh, also, uh, Penny, we're going to have a shared microphone there. Penny from Hello. Students for Sensible Drug Policy. Um, how are you feeling? You you had the shortest time, I think, at Rainbow. I did. Unfortunately, I had to come back to work. So I was only there for two days. But Ash made up for it for me. That SSDP yep. <laughs> presence was definitely there. And from the Australian Psychedelic Society, Melissa Wright and Dr. Uh, Dean... Uh, I've just forgotten you lot. I've had we, just we haven't married in the past Dr. few days. <laughs> 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 Melissa Warner and Dr. Dean Wright, thank you. You both got W's. I've got a W at the end of my name, too. I just noticed that. We're like a W trifecta going on here. Um, how are you guys? Excellent. Feeling like the launch of the Australian Psychedelic Society at Rainbow Serpent went really well. We had a great response, really good turnout, lots of interest and enthusiasm in the crowd. It was really lovely to hear some tripping stories, inspiring stories of change and transformation from many of our audience 
and, and one particularly bizarre story of a uh, obscure psychoactive chemical um, that, <laughs> that was told by a man sitting in the corner uh, here. Uh, what was the name of the chemical? Peloton. Um, yeah, yeah, so Jack, uh, Jack Tolley has a very interesting story about his experience with Peloton, which is actually the one strain of peyote he managed to find in Mexico that contains no mescaline and only this one other substance in there. So it was lucky, Jack. Lucky you went in with an open mind. <laughs> and we will also be having on the program this afternoon Dr. Monica Barrett uh, from the National Drug and Alcohol Research Centre, who was also at Rainbow Serpent Festival on a panel talking about uh, harm reduction, including a big conversation on pill testing. Uh, Fiona Patton, member of the Legislative Council and uh, president of the Australian Sex Party, uh, talking to us a little bit about the inquiry that is before the Victorian government at the moment, and also a bill that she has uh, regarding pill testing. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, and uh, Councillor Augie Simic from uh, Port Phillip, and hopefully Dick Gross as well, both councillors from Port Phillip, um, uh, to talk a little bit about what's been going on with Port Phillip Council this week and their vote uh, to uh, accept some pill testing. So welcome to Psychedelia. Uh, we have a uh, big program up, so let's let's find somewhere to start. Perhaps we should start with the thing freshest in our minds with, uh, with Rainbow Serpent uh, Festival. Uh, Ash, some comments on... How things went um, <laughs> overall? Well, I mean, w- there was a fatality at um, at Rainbow Serpent from the reporting. Uh, it seems that somebody accidentally ingested amyl nitrite um, that was stored in a container that resembled uh, either alcohol or something else and was being passed around. And a young man didn't realise what it was and drank it, whereas amyl nitrite is usually inhaled. You kind of breathe it in for the effects. And um, unfortunately, the young man passed away, which has led to the usual kind of police going, these festivals are dangerous and all the rest of it. Um, it's been pretty good this year in terms of like the response to that. The festivals really hit back and so have a lot of supporters of mm. the festival really outlining the safety aspects of it. And having been at the festival, it, it was my it's my sixth festival I've um, volunteered doing harm reduction and things at the festival this, this season. And out of all of them, Rainbow... They, they really do have it locked down. Mm. Like, free water everywhere, solid medical crew, like, rangers, dance-wise were there, um, you know, doing their dance-wise thing. Even hearing from the police about their view on it as well. Yeah, every yeah. Police, every police person that I talk to at the festival agrees that this is probably their favourite thing to work at during the year because everyone is lovely there. Yeah. Everyone is taking care of themselves the majority of the time. Compare that to any other event that is running in the city with that many people. Yeah. The amount of work that is required by the police is minimal. Yeah, I think generally the festival are doing quite a good job this year. They also had a dedicated um, women's space and they had on-call counsellors and stuff to deal with any uh, kind of um, sexual assault crisis, that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, like, I, I think... Somebody accidentally ingesting a solvent is something that it's very hard to control for that kind of eventuality. You can do everything right and still not not reduce the risk to zero. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm just getting uh, Dr. Monica Bright, uh, Barrett. I'm just uh, mixing everybody's names together today. Uh, that's what the heat does. Monica, are you with us? I am with you. Hey, hey. Oh, cool. 
And Monica's joining us on Skype. Uh, as I mentioned, she's from uh, National Drug and Alcohol Research Centre, the Drug Policy uh, Modelling Program. And Monica was on the panel uh, talking about uh, drug law reform. And look, I, I think, um, I, I don't know if this was uh, your impression as well, Monica, but um, I think we were hearing some, um, some, some tired voices, some voices who feel like they've been saying the same thing over and over now uh, for over a year, much longer than a year, but especially over the past year. Yeah, um, but I think I, I didn't get the sense that everyone was tired. I, I got the sense that, yes, many of these things have been said before in many cases, well, really for decades. But, you know, this last year there's been a lot of momentum around trying to work through some of the barriers that exist to community members finding out what is in the drugs that they are considering taking uh, and, and that's really what what we're talking about here it's 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 being able to actually know what's going on in the markets themselves and also when there's a set of overdoses or poisonings you could call them I've been I've been told that by a few people are not necessarily overdoses because someone might have just taken one capsule and then they've ended up in hospital. Really, what that is is a poisoning. And when that happens, to be able to find out as soon as possible what that substance was for the benefit of all the community, their families, the people that look after them, and really kind of everyone. I, I, I'm really struggling to see who doesn't benefit from finding out now we, what is in the drug. We had something interesting come across uh, the Encyclopedia desk uh, just just today from an anonymous source. Uh, it was a uh, internal, not for public distribution letter uh, that was um, that's actually available uh, on the internet now. We might post a link up to it later if I can uh, see if that's all right. Um, the uh, the the post is from uh, Victoria Police and it's a warning dated twenty seventh of January uh, for. Uh, some capsules that probably everyone's seen on Facebook now that contain 4-FA, which is that fluoroamphetamine? 4-FA? Yep. yep. Um, uh, yep. MDMA and uh, 25-CN bone. Now, these are ones that have popped up uh, on a lot of people's Facebook feeds over the past few days, but it seems that uh, Victoria Police had this information uh, before uh, uh it sort of was publicly announced and um, their approach was to uh, inform officers that this is a dangerous substance and it should be confiscated uh, from people if found or, well, I mean, all illicit drugs, they said, should be confiscated from people. But um, thoughts on this? This is an in internal. It's not for, not for public, like, not for people to see publicly, yet it does seem to be something that uh, as soon as that information is known, probably should be out there in the community. Well, firstly, it's interesting that someone who was authorised to see that information felt that it was a good idea to leak it. Uh, that's the first thing that's interesting because it might suggest that there are some people who work in law enforcement who can see that this is a problem, that this information is, is available for them, for their eyes only but is not being made available at a broader level. And there are complex issues associated with how you would communicate that information. I agree. Um, it, it's not a simple thing. Uh, but it, at this point, what we try to do, I guess to just step one, one, one step back, because I've got a number of roles here. So in my role uh, as a volunteer for Blue Light, 
uh, and in my just general personal role on my Facebook page um, before Rainbow, but after there are a number of deaths that you would have reported previously on this show associated with Revolver, or not the deaths, but there were lots of uh, hospitalizations associated with Revolver in Chapel Street associated with these capsules. And in that week following, you know, there was a lot of discussion. Well, what, what is going on? What What is happening here? And I kind of just put it out there on my Facebook, I got a lot of people respond, people with various, you know, opinions and ideas and information. But I also had a few people message me privately and say, yeah, you know, I had this really bad experience, it looks exactly the same, um, you know, what do we do about that? Uh, and so really what it was about was organising to get those uh, remaining substances to a place that could test them. So we were able to do that through um, the kind, I have to say, they're so kind, Energy Control, uh, the Spanish group that will do international testing of illicit drugs for anyone. They usually charge a fee. In this case, having heard the situation and the public health emergency that was essentially could be unfolding because obviously more people could end up taking this substance the weekend following, which was rainbow, you know, so there was this sense of, wow, we really need to do something about this. Um, we didn't have anywhere we could go uh, to, to say, well, okay, so what's, what is in this? So instead we went to Spain and they told us, and then we put that up on the, on the, on blue light uh, on Friday. So we've also now found out, I guess, through this leak that, yes, as you would expect, uh, Victoria Police, and you would expect that they would have um, used their laboratories to find out what was in these substances as they were being seized and, and people were being charged with their possession. So I guess that this just brings brings a number of questions into interview, doesn't it, about, um, you know, what is the community's right to know this kind of information um, at what point do we, do you, should we have a right to know it always? Mm. Some would argue this. Others would argue that there's a point perhaps when it turns into a public health emergency, which it really did because there was a number of overdoses, but at that point there needs to be a mechanism uh, through which local laboratories can provide that information and and, and disseminate it as quickly as possible. Yeah, so it's very time-consuming to have to send argue, it to Barcelona, isn't I would it? Argue I would argue from my public health hat on, from my NDAC hat on, that that is really important. And what about the role of like community kind of coordinating this information? Because at the moment, it's like community members, people like yourself, activists like us that are really trying to share yeah. this, this information amongst ourselves. But it's not necessarily coming from public health, like emergency rooms do have GCMS uh, on site <laughs> to, to test some of these substances that come through the emergency room. But that's not currently yeah. being fed back into the community. And so we're sitting there kind of scrambling with, you know, with the, the tools that we have and the minimal information that we have trying to share it and keep our friends safe. Um, yeah. You know, how, how well, is that going to play yeah, out? It's a problem. So what we have is a number of people, obviously. It, I mean, one thing that's fantastic is that there is this community uh, that come together and try uh, the best they can to... Uh, to, to help their friends to not die. I mean, it's pretty simple, right? Um, that's what people are doing. But they're doing so with uh, technologies that in some cases aren't, aren't really able to give what they need. So, you know, I know there's all these discussions about reagent test kits, what are they good for? There are a number of things they are really good for. But in this particular situation, now that we know exactly what was in this 
capsule, that there was a mixture in this capsule of three substances, including MDMA, which is the target substance people were thinking they wanted. A small amount of that was present. A large amount of 4-FA was present. Uh, and a small amount of 25C N-bone was present. 25C N-bone is very potent, though, so that is probably where most of the problems are coming when people have taken this capsule. What we understand about 4-FA, for example, in the Netherlands, uh, the Dutch actually use 4-FA uh, intentionally. They actually think it's quite it's quite a good drug to use intentionally. They, they think it's quite sort of a cross between MDMA and amphetamine, so maybe... If it had have just had 4-FA and MDMA, people here might have just thought, oh, it's a bit speedy, you know. Like, it, it, it's not necessarily the case that there would have been this spate of public health emergencies that we had. But the, the 25C N-bome in there must have been at a pretty high dose, and we don't yet know what that was, in order to be orally ingested and to produce the kinds of um, problems that people reported, very, very difficult bad trips, obviously trips they weren't expecting, so strong hallucinogenic experiences that they had absolutely no intention of having and that could be very frightening. But also there's also this weird thing about the three deaths that happened that weekend that we still don't really understand how they died. Coroner's reports are still coming. So that there's still some unknowns here. Um, but I think what's also really interesting when you talk to people like Fiona Meesham and Guy Jones in UK, who are sort of my, my UK people to go to, they just say, this doesn't happen where we are. We do not mm. get strange capsules of mixtures of brown, gunky gear sold here. It just doesn't happen. So what is it in Australia? What 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 is it, you know? What's the cause of this? So that's the other thing that, that, that worries me. You're listening to In Psychedelia on 3CR Community Radio, 855am digital and streaming at 3cr.org.au. A panel of guests and we're debriefing uh, from Rainbow Serpent Festival uh, with Michael Garfield, Ash Blackwell, Penny Hill, uh, Dean... <laughs> I've got, I'm going to get right, your names Dean backwards Wright. again. Dean Wright and Melissa Warner. Um, and on the phone, uh, on Skype, uh, Dr. Monica Barrett. And now joining us on the phone uh, from Port Phillip Council, Councillor Oggie Semek. Uh, Oggie, welcome to the program. Yeah, hi, how are you going? Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Thanks for having me. Now, Augie, uh, there's been a few things going on uh, in Port Phillip Council, which covers uh, St Kilda. Uh, covers where, where, where are the boundaries of your council? Uh, for those listening that yeah. might not be sure. So it uh, touches with Melbourne, um, starts uh, up near South Melbourne, um, includes South Melbourne, Port Melbourne, um, St Kilda, as you said, also Albert Park, Middle Park, um, and Elwood. So quite a big municipality Does it take... south of Melbourne. Does uh, Windsor and Paran uh, get captured by Port Phillip? No, no. that's uh, Sonnington, so that's just uh, next door. Just next door, okay. But there are a lot of events that uh, that happen in uh, Port Phillip uh, Council area. One of the big ones coming up uh, is the next weekend, St Kilda Festival next weekend. Uh, now, um, the, uh, pill testing has obviously been a big issue. We've just been speaking with uh, Dr Monica Bra uh, Barrett about um, uh, the strange capsules that have been floating about the place, and Port Phillip Council has decided to take on this issue this week. So can you tell us a little bit about what's been happening in the council chambers down there, Augie? Yeah, absolutely. So it was a difficult debate we had to have. Um, we obviously looked at it from a public health perspective. Um, and on Wednesday night, council supported a motion which was put forward by myself and uh, Councillor Dick Ross, um, which we hope paved the way 
to with the, um, for us to be able to work with the state government um, to run a trial uh, in the city of Port Phillip. So, so what, it's a starting point. What sort of trial have you been speaking with some of the uh, experts in the field about? What sort of trial you would like to see, uh, perhaps implemented or trialed in the area? Yeah, I mean, so there's a lot of different models, and we haven't quite got to that point yet where we're looking at the different models. Um, what we did was um, put forward this motion, which is really a starting point. Um, the next step is to look at, at the different models, and I, uh, you know, I'm aware of some like the Dutch model, which has been quite successful. But I think it's very important we've got to find the right model that fits the Australian context, and that will take a little bit of time. Now, um, Dr. Monica Barrett is uh, heavily involved with um, some of the uh, pill testing discussions that have been going on. Um, Monica, are there, are there some models that you might like to uh, put to Oggy right here on air? Hi, Oggy. I actually haven't been able to hear what you're saying. Oh, dear. <laughs> unfortunately, all I can hear is what um, the presenters have been saying. Okay, so that's, that's again, that. our, our I mean, 1970s is panel. Really quickly summarise what. Uh, yes, Oggy yes. So Oggy's just been telling us that the uh, Port Phillip Council has voted uh, for a uh, trial of pill testing in um, in the, the council area and working with state government uh, to be able to bring that about. Uh, they don't know what that trial will look like yet, but have been looking into a few different models. So, Monica, um, uh, put to you, what model would you like to suggest to Oggy that could be good oh. uh, coming from a council area? So, so, yeah, look, you may have encountered some of the, the issues in looking into this. Obviously, you can have on-site testing. The question is how long are people willing to wait on-site at a big event? Uh, and that then determines how accurate or, or, you know, how much information you can really get from the testing. Another model which I really like would be uh, what they have in Amsterdam and other parts of the Netherlands where they have actually set up booths that are open, say, in the afternoon to, to early evening, weekdays and also Fridays and Saturdays, with the idea being that people can come in, they might spend half an hour there. It's not actually at the event of the party, if that makes sense, but it's not that far removed from it. So say if you've got Secure Festival coming up, you had these, these booths uh, set up, uh, where there were drug counsellors, uh, people who can run proper lab machines that are there at these locations. Uh, and then they're able to actually conduct testing in that kind of fashion. Uh, and what this also means is if people get a result that they're really scared about, so that, you know, you've actually meant that that they have been prevented from taking the drug in question because they found out that it might contain something really bad, I mean, that sort of is, is a good situation for them because they can then work out, well, what are they going to do um, that night? I, I, I can sort of see this problem where we have pill testing that's running at an event right there at the event when people want to take drugs right now because if they get a result they don't like, what are they going to do? They're going to either not take drugs at all, and some of them will do that, but some of them might be a bit, a bit frustrated by that and they might just take them anyway. Mm. Others might just go out and buy some drugs from any old stranger and not get them tested. So, I mean, I'm not saying everyone would do that, but I like this idea that, that you can have a testing service set up that's not necessarily right at the centre of the time when people are intending to take the drugs. Maybe it's a few hours before or a day before where they're going in there, they get a chance to actually have a counselling session. Someone can say to them, hey, so have you done this before? Let's talk a little bit about your mental health, how you don't, how you go, that sort of thing, which is really actually one of the, 
the best parts of, of a testing service. It's not just about getting the information about what's in drugs. It's about actually connecting that person in with any services that they might require. Now, uh, Councillor Oggy, next weekend is uh, St Kilda Festival. I suspect that it's going to take uh, you guys a, a bit longer uh, than that to find out uh, what model uh, could be put in place and to negotiate with the state government. Of course, that uh, state government has still uh, been steadfastly against uh, allowing pill testing, and they seem to be about the last, the last sort of the last people standing uh, against this move. Do you have uh, any idea on a timeline on how long we might be looking at, or is am I? Uh, how long is a piece of stringing here? Well, we're hopeful that we can uh, get something up and running um, as soon as possible. But you're absolutely right. So, I mean, still under Victorian legislation, drug testing uh, isn't uh, legal. And, and so it would require legislative change in order for even uh, a trial like the one we're suggesting to go ahead. So we're probably still some time away from, from seeing a, a trial. But I guess um, what, what happened... Uh, Council on, on Wednesday night um, and what City of Port Phillip is saying is that uh, we're ready for the state government to work with us so that we can be uh, a trial site. So hopefully the uh, state government um, takes on that opportunity uh, and we can run a, um, a, a trial um, looking at uh, the different models we just talked about. Um, you know, we'll, we'll run a trial with the best possible model um, and as a result, um, use that um, to decide whether drug testing is something that works in the Australian context or not. Um, but we can't get to that point unless uh, we actually have a trial somewhere. Oggy, thank you very much for joining us uh, this afternoon on In Psychedelia and good luck with no everything at, at Port Phillip. Councillor... No, no worries, thanks. Thank you. Uh, Councillor Oggy Semik from Port Phillip Council talking to us about uh, their motion this week to support uh, pill testing, though it looks like there's still uh, a little bit to go uh, on that. Now, uh, Penny, um, we were uh, last week we heard from the Students for Sensible Drug Policy on uh, one of uh, regular now specials uh, with SSDP um, uh, uh, comments on Insightalia. Um and we were talking about the, uh, the statement uh, that SSDP put out um, about pill testing. Um, um, uh, well, both of you. Um, can you? Uh, we, we talked a bit about it last weekend, but um, I believe there's. Uh, can, we, can we talk a little bit about that for a moment? Yeah, definitely. I'll actually pass over to Ash because he actually was um, the main writer of that statement. That was. Oh, well, actually, <laughs> I, I'm actually going to credit Tim Fraser here because he was the main author and I just assisted in crafting the statement. Yeah, we're like our position is um, to support those kind of things that Monica were talking about, the kind of proposal that's come from the Port Phillip Council. Uh, we really do need this lab quality service to provide information and in conjunction with that data like the Victorian police forensic data and emergency room data to be fed into the kind of early warning system that will hopefully prevent the, the spate of um, poisonings and overdoses that we've had in the, the recreational drug scene in the last couple of years in Australia. We also support the use of reagent kits and we're working with different universities to distribute them through student unions and um, encourage people to use whatever tools they can to gain the, the limited information that they might be able to gain from those tools and share them in the community. So, you know, our position is that it, until the government acts, we're going to support students and people in the community to do what they can with the tools they have until we get something better. Have you mentioned the National Union of Students? 
Uh, we might we have did mentioned talk about it on the, yeah. with the Tim last show. weekend. Yes, yeah, because yeah. that was quite a big win for us. So basically, um, a proposal was passed through the National Union of Students, of which makes up about eighty percent of student unions in Australia, and they all voted to um, support uh, pill testing coming on campus through student unions. So should be a really big year for twenty seventeen with that that much support from student unions, and hopefully getting some support from the universities themselves. <laughs> now on the line we have uh, from the Legislative Council of Victoria, uh, President of the Australian Sex Party, Fiona Patton. Welcome to Encyclopedia. Thanks, Nick. Hello, everyone. Hey, Fiona. So I'll, I'll just quickly let you know on the panel this afternoon we have uh, Ash, uh, Penny, uh, mm-hmm. Dean, Mel, and we've also got Dr. Monica uh, Barrett on uh, Skype with us. Uh, we, and uh, all our favourite people <laughs> <laughs> in one room. It's uh, and I'm glad we've got the air conditioning in here because God, it's a sticky day. Uh, now we've <laughs> we've been talking about um, about pill testing. We just had a chat with yes. uh, one of the Port Phillip councillors about a motion that they passed uh, last mm. week to support uh, pill testing and to mm. speak with the state government about it. Now uh, mm. he mentioned that we still need to see legislative change. You've got a bill before Parliament, I believe, on this uh, important issue right now. Look, I do, but I, you know, when you look around the world, and I think Monica can probably, Monica can correct me on this, but when you look at where it's, where it's operating in European countries, it's, it's been done with police discretion, and this could be done with police discretion. The same as we have police con- discretion around needle exchange programs. So police, the guidelines are you don't go and bust someone for possession of a drug as they're going into a needle exchange to pick up needles or as they're coming out of a needle exchange to pick up clean needles. And this is a very strong harm minimisation policy from the Victorian police and from police around the country. So they could do that today. Um, Legislative reform in this area um, is going to be that much harder. Um, I don't think our government... Well, I've got a bill before me, before the parliament. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, in all likelihood going to have to split that bill and try and get the safe injecting room um, up in North Richmond first um, and, then, and then push on with the harder, the, the harder legislative reform around pill testing. But as I say... It could happen today if the police policy supported this very important harm minimisation practice, the same as they support uh, safe, in, uh, the same as they support needle exchange programs. So what you're saying is that we we have a precedent that's been uh, f- going for about 20 years, longer than 20 years, uh, <laughs> where where people uh, Victorians um, who have an opiate um, addiction can go and they can get a, uh, a, 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 a pharmaceutical product that's very similar. They can get clean needles. All of this was done to stop some of the health problems that were associated um, with opiate use, mm. especially in the 1980s. And we had to have no legislative change to do that. All we needed was the police to say, you know what, that's a good idea because the health and human rights of people come before trying to enforce this, this moral campaign uh, of prohibition. That's spot on, Nick. That's absolutely spot on. So we were, we were able to do that, and we were able to do that, as you say, in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, it's just general practice it's considered good policing um not following that not following that procedure is considered lazy policing and really we're 
you know, I'm not going to say that these people are victims, but it's, you know, to be trying to to catch the users um, uh, of, of particularly heroin users is not is not useful in any shape or form. And so we've we've seen that just to be common and accepted practice in Victoria and around Australia. And we could, as I say, could do exactly the same with pill testing, um, especially at um, especially at festivals. Fiona Ashy from SSDP. Mm-hmm. Um, the injecting centre in North Richmond. You said you've got a bill for that. Does that have police support? Because the the comments coming from the state government, particularly the premier. Um, on the issue of pill testing are um, they're really referencing the police position Um, like I've kind of been a bit critical like police are creating state policy Um, so it seems like the police themselves are very opposed to pill testing I'm wondering if there's a differentiation between their support for an injecting centre and maybe why that might be happening look I think um, given that there's a precedent in New South Wales and that the that we've had a safe injecting, a medically supervised injecting centre in New South Wales for 15 years um, that has been extraordinarily successful. 80% reduction in ambulance call outs, um, 4,000 overdoses uh, avoided. Uh, you know, the, the numbers are just so substantial, and the police in New South Wales were, were not positive to begin with. The same as they weren't positive about needle exchange programs, but they've come on board. And I think certainly common sense uh, and amongst, certainly quietly amongst police, um, is that, yeah, this is a sensible approach to what is an ever-growing problem. I mean, 36 overdose deaths in a 300-square-metre area in North Richmond. This urgently needs to be addressed. And I've certainly been campaigning with the police. Can I, I... because I'm, I'm, I'm very close to making a big announcement on this, and I, but, I, but I don't want to make it today. <laughs> so, but watch this space. And, um, yeah, I, we, you know, in fact, the Victorian police are really starting to rethink how they deal with drugs in, in a much broader context. Um, and I, you know, I actually think that there's some fairly sensible and common sense people up there. Obviously, we're not hearing that all the time. I mean, the comments that they made around Rainbow Serpent were just um, uh, ridiculous (laughs) and and silly. That's right. Um, But I think behind the scenes, there's a lot more going on than than we're seeing in the the tabloids. Now, Fiona, can you stick with us? Um, We're going to uh, be back in just a tick to talk about the uh, Victorian inquiry into uh, drug law and policies right now. Um, So uh, stick around. We'll be one second. Harm reduction refers to policies, programs and practices that aim primarily to reduce the adverse health, social and economic consequences of the use of legal and illegal psychoactive drugs without necessarily reducing drug consumption. Harm reduction benefits people who use drugs, their families and the community. If you want to know more about harm reduction in Victoria, head to hrvic.org.au. Harm Reduction Victoria is a non-profit, user-based and user-governed organisation which aims to educate, inform, support and advocate for people who use drugs, their friends, families and broader community. 
Push on a pedal, push on a pedal, get your heart started. Push on a pedal, push it down and up again. Push on a pedal. You have to try very hard not to have fun on a push bike. Yarrabug, a show of bad bikes. Get on your bike. Riding them. Sit on the seat. Fixing them. Push your feet on the pedal. Loving them. And ride it all around. Mondays, 10am to 10.30 here on 3CR. Put your feet on the pedals. And ride it all around, ride it all around. 3CR Community Radio, 855am, digital and streaming at 3cr.org.au. My name's Nick. This is In Psychedelia. We're talking all things drug policy at the moment after returning from the dusty sunburnt fields of Rainbow Serpent Festival out in Lexton, Victoria. Uh, and we've been talking pill testing, but we're going to uh, move on to a, uh, another topic now. Um, one that's just, uh, I mean, look, it's, it's November 2015 is when this first became, came before Victorian Parliament. And just last week is when they started accepting submissions for it. There is an inquiry now uh, occurring uh, by the uh, Fiona. What is your uh, committee called? The Law Reform uh, and <laughs> Road Safety. Yes, it's the um, Road and Community Safety. Which so- somehow also does drug issues. That's right. Community yeah. safety. <laughs> yeah, is yeah. Where they fit that in. There's you know over the years different. There has been a drug law reform committee, um, but. They decided to to combine that with um, community safety this time round. So, yeah, so it's a joint joint house committee. It's a multi party committee, and and it will be looking at at this at at drug issues um, in a very substantial way over 2017. And as you quite rightly said, the submission we're open open for submissions now. Yes, yeah, so the submissions opened last week and close on March seventeenth. So, so there's only about one month, um, one month and about a week uh, to get your mm. your submissions in. Uh, submissions can come from anyone, whether you're just a citizen with a comment to make, or you're part of a uh, larger organisation uh, that might be able to make a multi-page uh, submission with uh, full of references. So uh, the the key message I really want to just ingrain in you here is: if this is an issue that at all affects you, and I suspect that that is everyone listening right now whether it's affecting you directly or affecting a friend or family member or a yeah. colleague or somebody please get your submissions into the Victorian Parliament uh, so that we can have a wide variety of voices instead of a few of the usual suspects who we already know what they're going to say anyway so let's get uh, let's get different voices and get a bit democratic about this instead of let the cronies uh, decide it for us uh, that's, I, that's, <laughs> a, just a, that's a great message Nick and I think just I was, um, you know, I was privileged to establish the um, end of life choices inquiry, and was um, very honoured to be on that inquiry. Now we received over a thousand submissions in that inquiry. It was unprecedented, and I would hope that we would see similar numbers for this inquiry. And those were very, pers- you know, they were people talking about their personal experiences with end of life. Um, and I would love. I think that it would be so valuable for the committee to hear personal stories from people about their experiences, about their relationships with drugs, about where, how we could make better drug policy and what the individuals think it should look like. 
Now, there will be a number of organisations putting up some, uh, mm. some some tips and hints for you um, because it might be it, it, you might have something that you know in your head, you've heard somewhere and you'd really like to mention that but can't quite remember where it is. So please keep an eye on social media and, and various newsletters uh, for a number of organisations and, and po- political parties as well uh, to see how yeah. you can make a submission. But the uh, terms of reference, uh, since they were first posted in November 2015, have been uh, whittled down, but they're still fairly broad. I, I mean, essentially... Essentially, the terms are asking, uh, how can we do drug policy better and how are other people doing it better? That's right. Probably slightly naive, well, not even slightly, but naively, when I put up the first inquiry and was successful in November in 2015, I threw absolutely everything into it. Let's look at everything. And the... um, the, the experts, and there's some great researchers who will be working on this project in Parliament. Um, they said, listen, if we were to do what you're asking us to do well, we would need 10 years to do it. Can we look at doing... Can we look at uh, an inquiry that looks at what's working and what's not working? Let's look at an inquiry that doesn't, in, doesn't involve reinventing the wheel, um, treading over old ground. Let's Let's be informed about what we're seeing out there that's working, whether it's legal or not legal, or whether it's from in Australia or it's overseas. Um, I think it's about the the Parliament trying to take a, to look at this a, a much more innovative area and a much more proactive and positive area, so we can um, we can make some recommendations to to government at the end of this process that they will have to respond to, but uh, that will inform government on what's working in other jurisdictions, what's working in Victoria, what's working overseas. Now, uh, submissions, as I said, are closing on March 17th, which is just over a month and a week away. Uh, how long do you expect uh, the whole process to take following that for some sort of uh, something to change? Now, I know that uh, uh, Parliament sort of specifically says that inquiries, no matter what comes out of it, they're going to still do what they want, but then there'll be something on the public record at least to point to and, uh, and, and help along the way. Yeah. But uh, how long do you think it'll take after that? Well, it's, it's a good question, Nick. And, um, and what we've seen in the... In, to, to answer the question immediately, uh, we will be reporting in March 18. Um, okay. So this is giving the committee a really long period of time to look at things quite extensively, um, to have public hearings, to talk to expert groups. Um, I'm very hopeful that the committee will go to... Um, We'll go to Portugal, we'll go to Colorado, we'll go to um, various jurisdictions where they're doing it where, where they're doing it better than us. Fiona? Um, so, yeah. Oh, sorry, I was, I, continue. Uh, where they're doing it better than us. Uh, so I hope that um, we'll have the, the time to do that and the time to really talk to the experts and get a detailed report. Because we're reporting in March... The government must respond to the committee within six months. So this means that they will be responding at a time when they're thinking about their election. Mm. And I would hope that that actually may work for us. It could could very well. We know what the polling is. We know that, you know, and, and I think even what people thought about pill testing, for example, two years ago is very different to what they think about it today. So in 12 months' time, I think we will have... The community... I'm hoping that this 
inquiry will will bring the com- community along with us, so that we're not going to frighten the government at this, mm. you know, next year. But there's been a lot of other very good committee work that's been done on drugs, and they've but they've they've basically tabled them at a time when the government had less than six months to respond to them, and so they've just um, fallen off the table. This one will not fall off the table. But we will spend a year, I hope, um, advocating for for law reform, advocating for change, and being able to present that with the evidence and with the research. Fiona, thank you very much for joining us on In Psychedelia this afternoon. And um, we will be catching up with you in the future uh, about how the inquiry is going along and providing plenty of information on how to uh, get involved. Thanks, Nick. Fiona Patton, member of the Legislative Council and president of the Australian Sex Party, uh, talking to us about the inquiry into drug law reform before the uh, uh, Law Reform Road and Community Safety Committee uh, right now. You're on in Psychedelia on 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM digital and streaming at 3cr.org.au. At Rainbow Serpent Festival uh, as well, we launched the Australian Psychedelic Society, uh, an organisation which is looking to uh, speak to and uh, with the community of psychonauts that exist in Victoria, regardless uh, of the uh, laws. Um, but we're not just talking, this is not just an organisation that is about drugs, uh, and I want to make that that fairly clear, because it's an organisation about um, the, the very diverse experiences that exists within uh, the psychedelic experience, and I think that even the word psychedelic could be used to describe uh, experiences um, uh, such as sort of religious mystical experiences, the sort of experiences that people can find through uh, solitude or through dedication to uh, very sometimes very simple tasks or a, a specific kind of life that they want to live. Uh, Dean and Mel, how do you feel um, the launch went? Well, I think it went really well. There was actually... Uh, several hundred people turned up and at first I was worried we weren't going to get enough people there because it's during one of the sets that everyone wanted to see at Rainbow Serpent which is you know kind of where I wanted to be as well but that was actually a really good response of people there Um, talking to people we had not enough time to get everyone's stories in at the end as you tend to get with people wanting to tell their own personal story and actually the one thing that really surprised me was when Melissa asked at the start how many people here are open about their drug use? Almost everyone had put up their hand. We might have had a bit of a biased audience at Rainbow Slightly biased audience. <laughs> but uh, that, was, that for me is like a very positive start. It shows that things are changing and that maybe if we're more open about our drug use and we're talking about it with people, then we might not be so surprised and, and, and maybe other people will be more open about their use as well and this will help the community uh, become more open and accepting of what drug users are like because drug users can be good people too and live functional lives. Now this afternoon from uh, this afternoon from 3.30 at the Fitzroy Beer Garden we are going to be, uh, the Psychedelic Society will be holding an event for anybody to come along to uh, with Michael Garfield who's down from the US uh, was speaking at Rainbow Serpent Festival um, about artificial intelligence and some other um, sort of uh, uh, techno-transhumanist futurist uh, things. I unfortunately missed the talk, but Michael, can you tell us a little bit about what you were talking about at Rainbow Serpent? Well, actually, it fits really well within this context of harm reduction and and psychedelics because, you know, if you look at, uh, as Stuart Brand, uh, founder of the Whole Earth Catalog, said that when 
progress happens too fast. It becomes change and people fear it. And so I think that a lot of what we're seeing now in terms of technological addiction and and various issues of you know the relationship, the ergonomic or human factor relationship between the way that we're designing our technologies and the way that we're using them and the motivations that we have to design them in specific ways, the effects that these are having on the human body and, and mind and our cultural experience a real precedent for understanding how to thread this needle with care and grace and come through with the dignity of our human species intact is by looking to the example of the way that harm reduction is managed in the context of other drugs by expanding the context of what it means to have to you know to a drug as something that is psychoactive so all of us are actually carrying around one of the most profound uh, endogenous drug tool operation boxes in our pocket you know this this phone that is designed to squirt your various neurotransmitters in a very intentional pattern you know and connect you in ways that actually resemble if you were to look at the the uh, earth from orbit which again is you know Stuart brand petitioned nasa for that image back in the 60s that the earth from orbit you can almost see the internet as forming the kind of functional connectivity between previously uh, splintered cultures and societies in the same way that you can understand the the increase in functional connectivity between brain regions under the influence of psychedelics as has been re- recently demonstrated through psilocybin and LSD brain imaging studies so there's there's an as above so below thing going on here and if we're to truly understand the effects both the, the positive and challenging rather than say merely negative but you know the the beneficial and and perhaps perilous effects of technology then we should actually be looking to how do we help people that are having a difficult psychedelic experience how do we make sure that the the uh, systems by which we are receiving and communicating these these psychedelic uh, substances and experiences are are held socially in a way that makes sense. And you know, with any luck, we we will not experience the same kind of uh, fallout or burnout that we see. You know, it's it. This is it's actually in, in just a few years. You know, we're moving into an age of of what um, my friend Jason Lange calls technodelics. Where you know we're not we're not even necessarily administering physical substances to alter a state of consciousness, but we're able to do induce it through electromagnetic fields, transcranial stimulation, and so the, these issues of of drugs and technology are actually the same issue. So I think it's really important to to start spreading that and to start understanding that this is not just about the issues that affect the the uh, you know the users of illicit substances, but this is about how we relate to one another through our media and you know whatever form those media might take. Uh, Melissa, did you have something you wanted to add? Yeah, I really like the use using the term technology to describe psychedelics because they are. They're also interestingly just found in nature as well. So there's both aspects there. But I'm curious what you think about the application then of this technology, both now and in the future. What role do you see psychedelics having? Mm. Well, I mean, 
In the sense that Timothy Leary said that the PC will be the next LSD in the early 90s. You know, and, and in the way that, that following that, that Terrence McKenna looked to the emergence of the World Wide Web as an intrinsically psychedelic phenomenon. You know, the, the gap between the idea and the thing is getting smaller and smaller. And so I think that there's a sense in which the, the ritual techniques of ecstasy and the various uh, ancient and indigenous and esoteric methods for navigating altered states of consciousness are now really uh, of, you know, relevant again to us in a postmodern age with the way that we interact with these magic portals and you know, the oracle of Google and our ability to share increasingly rich and high fidelity communication with one another to the point where it seems entirely possible given that it's already been three or four years since we were able to, to directly stimulate one brain with another brain wirelessly, a human mind that, that saw the light that someone, uh, someone else saw that in a few years, we're going to be able to tweet orgasms to each other and that kind of thing. And so, you know, this is, this is, this is real. And, and it's, um, there is an anxiety that comes with this, that, uh, in Pennsylvania state, University information scientist Richard Doyle says that paranoia is what happens when you see the pattern, but you're not yet aware that you're a part of the pattern. And so I think that, like, you know, as we move online, as we move into a world where we're not talking about an online world and an offline world, you know, where we're talking about being online all the time, that is a fundamental state of consciousness, an unprecedented shift for what is the average, everyday state of consciousness for your average person. And really, what that looks like. In you know, to anyone with psychedelic experience, is that the entire planet is gradually, uh, but rather actually rather rapidly, moving into a collective sort of transpersonal psychedelic space where the boundaries and definitions that we that we had in the modern world for what it is to be a person are changing in a fundamental way. And so that's where we, you know, we would look back to specifically to the, the, the lessons and the wisdoms of the, the psychedelic culture for how do we navigate this space without losing our minds. Something that uh, often comes up when when these sorts of uh, topics come up uh, among friends of mine and in the more public discourse is uh, pe- people seem to often, especially a lot of progressive friends of mine, they get really antsy about uh, about technology and they'll get antsy about progress and they'll get a, a bit a bit misanthropic. Eventually, they're kind of like, "Oh, it's humans that are the problem. It's humans and all this technology and this artificial and this unnatural and these words of division, these words that separate what." we do from what we are and i don't see that talked about for any other animal or any other thing that exists in the world though many other creatures do not quite the same because we have a you know some brain features that no other animals quite have uh but we certainly see plenty of animals um using tools building houses having complex social structures and all of these are their technologies but they're somehow a part of the species but when it comes to humanity, we sort of separate ourselves from our own technology. We treat it like this other thing. And I think when we, when we do that, we, we, we're dividing what ourselves are and then trying to solve the problem with these divisions going on instead of something that's, that's together. Mm. Yeah, so I think an interesting way of tying that together, actually, with technology and psychedelics is psychedelics can actually be used as a tool to help go in with intent. And I think this is an important thing with technology is that we're so worried about what it's doing to our behavior and our, the effects on us as people. Whereas I think psychedelics as a tool, they help you go in there. They help change the way you think about these things and they help you use it with intent to actually enhance your life. So if you can do anything, 
I think these drugs are used for that purpose. That's how they're enhancing purposes are coming along. And there is so many influences with technology where it's giving us easier access to pleasure and stimulation to things that's distracting us. It's making ADD like more common within us. But if we can learn to control that and be in touch with why we're using these things and how we're using them, I think psychedelics is a tool that can help us do that. We're just about out of time this afternoon, but this is only the beginning of a conversation we are going to continue throughout the afternoon. So please, if you are around the Fitzroy area and if this is something that interests you, come and join the Australian Psychedelic Society from 3.30 at the Fitzroy Beer Garden uh, near the corner of Gertrude Street and Smith Street. Michael Garfield will also be playing some uh, music for us there. And did you bring along any art as well? Have you got some? He's a, he's a multi-talented person. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to to meet you wherever your senses are clustered. Uh, excellent, excellent. He's a man of uh, just many sensory pleasures. Uh, I'm going to leave that, and we're going to uh, we're going <laughs> to you, you can take that uh, how you wish. Um, we will be back, of course, um, next week from uh, from two o'clock on 3CR Community Radio, 855am digital and streaming at 3cr.org.au. Find us on Facebook, find us on Twitter, find our website as well, all of it at 3cr.org.au. Follow the links to the Encyclopedia program page and uh, that's that's where you'll find us. Uh, thank you for joining us this afternoon. Queering the Air are up next and uh, we do hope to see you at the Fitzroy uh, Beer Garden. And uh, oh, Did you have something final you wanted to add? That's really it. MichaelGarfield.net if you don't make it to Fitzroy Beer Garden. Ah, thank you. MichaelGarfield.net and also PsychedelicSociety.com.au where you can find their uh, newsletter and social media as well. That's enough information for you. Enjoy the rest of your afternoon. See you later. This is In Psychedelia. Comments, complaints or contributions are welcome. Jump on the 3CR website. 3cr.org.au and head to the Encyclopedia program page. Get in contact with us on Facebook or Twitter or send us an email. Encyclopedia does not condone or condemn people who use drugs for their choices. Our aim is to present the diverse intersections of psychoactive drugs and society. If you are concerned about your own drug use or a friend's drug use, DirectLine provides a free and confidential counselling service 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Call 1-800-888-236. In Psychedelia, we'll be back on 3CR from 2pm next Sunday. You've been listening to a 3CR community radio podcast of In Psychedelia. Find us on Facebook and Twitter.